Episode 5, Step by Step. I want to start this one off with a little preamble. For anyone listening who personally knows what it feels like to be addicted to drugs and or alcohol. Of course, alcohol is a drug, so there's no need to separate it when it comes to addiction. That's like me asking if you know what it feels like to be addicted to food and or soup. You'd probably be thinking, why the hell is this guy putting soup on such a pedestal? Which is fair. It's absurd to be othering food and drugs like that. But anyhow, whatever your drug of choice is, if you're someone who used the hell out of it and went off the rails at some point, then I'm speaking directly to you, comrade. We've been through something heavy. Maybe some of us are still knee-deep in it, or up to our ears even. I mean, Christ, I was fully submerged at one point. I was using a Coke straw like a fucking snorkel, just gasping for air to stay alive. (sighs) Point is, we're all battling addiction together. It doesn't matter what specific drugs we took that got us to a dark place, or what drugs helped us get out of it. And you know, now that we're back on the rails, it doesn't matter what drugs we take here either. The reality is, people do all kinds of drugs for all sorts of reasons. And a person's substance use ain't nobody's business but their own. Those of us who've struggled with addiction know that there's plenty of outside moral judgment to go around. So what do you say we stop preaching to each other about how everyone needs treatment? Specifically abstinence-only treatment. And everyone has to work some version of a 12-step program. In fact, it's the only program in town. Because everyone's journey to recovery must begin with the first step. Step one, one, one. We can have lots of fun. Oh, no, you can't. You must be the new kid on the block. Listen, you've had your fun, okay? Plenty of it. Cool, all right. Well, then, that's it for step one, huh? Step two. No, actually, there isn't. There's only one thing for you to do right now, and that's hit rock bottom. Then at your lowest point, when you realize how truly hopeless you are. Step three. three, three. It's just you, me. Not me. You have to hit bottom on your own. And once you admit total defeat and embrace being powerless, then your sober life can begin. Step by step. Now, I'm going to share my personal experience with rehab and heroin detox. And I'll explain my beef with 12-step programs. But first, let me wrap up this preamble here. Again, I'm speaking directly to anyone who's dealt with addiction firsthand. If you subscribe to the disease model of addiction, and if the goal of your treatment was to get sober... Good for you! Easy bail. But honestly, if the addiction treatment program that worked for you is one of them pass-fail situations that require sobriety, then God bless. May your path to recovery be paved with abstinence, and may your heart be full of love for those of us on a different path. A path where we show solidarity instead of superiority. And put mutual aid before self-righteous shade. We choose medication over self-flagellation. And trust practical solutions more than puritanical institutions. We prefer a radical mentality to a cult of personality. And believe in harm reduction, not punitive destruction. Oh, good for you! Oh, fuck off, Christian Bale. All I'm saying is everyone who's been addicted to something knows how lonely it can be. Johan Hari wrote a book on the subject where he says this. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. God damn the truth. I remember how isolated I felt all the time. But here's the thing. Now we all share a connection because we've all experienced addiction. So whenever we come across somebody who's addicted to drugs more than anyone, we got to make sure to have their back if they reach out for help. That means no matter what path they decide to take to deal with it, They can at least count on their fellow drug users to support their choices and not judge them. My name is Nicole, and I'm addicted to eating drywall. You know what, Nicole? Drywall ain't a drug, but addiction ain't all about drugs. 
It's about people wrestling with pain and trauma. So I got nothing but love for anybody who's having a hard time out there. And I'm so sorry the network suits over at TLC love to exploit human suffering for profit. But I promise you, on this program, there's no such thing as a strange addiction. I'm addicted to being an adult baby. I'm addicted to drinking paint. And I am addicted to singing. You heard me. The only strange thing about addiction in this country is how we treat it. The rehab industrial complex in America is big business, baby. We got something like 15,000 private rehab and addiction treatment facilities from coast to coast, making almost $40 billion a year, and there's still a lot of room to grow. I mean, shit, I'm no Jim Mad Money Kramer, but now that the bigger rehab chains are starting to go public, I'd say you can confidently buy some stock in that racket. I mean, think about it. Addiction rates during the COVID pandemic have reached historic levels. Drug courts keep popping up right alongside these McRehab franchises. So we're talking court-ordered, for-profit, abstinence-only treatment programs that are packed with people who are being told their addiction is a chronic brain disease, while at the same time they're being forced to piss in a cup under threat of incarceration. And somehow this is the only way to treat addiction. You are sick? And you better get well soon, or you and that medical condition of yours are going right to jail. Jesus Christ almighty, it's unusually cruel and unbelievably profitable. Booyah! If you've been listening to the podcast from the beginning, you'll remember I said there are two questions people always ask me about my heroin use. Why'd I start, and how'd I stop? Well, I told you why I started. I was born with an anti-authoritarian streak in me. I experienced some sexual trauma as a child, got a peek behind the curtain of the American empire as an adolescent, and I've been juggling intense feelings of rage and despair my entire adult life. Now, how'd I stop? Well, first off, I'll tell you what didn't work for me. Rehab. Hi, this is Dr. David Sack of Promises Treatment Centers. I'm sure you've heard of Promises, the luxurious drug rehabilitation center in Malibu, California. Charlie Sheen, Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, Robert Downey Jr. It's where all the beautiful people go for addiction treatment. For 80 grand a month, you get promises. Well, I barely qualified for Medicaid, so I was in a dilapidated hellhole in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania called Choices. And shit, promises are expensive, but Choices are a dime a dozen. So it's 2003, and here I am at Choices. Usually it's three patients to a room, but they're over capacity and I'm the fourth wheel. So while they scramble to find me a cot, I head to the common area. Halfway through a game of Connect Four with a Gulf War vet who's trying to kick a meth habit, I'm already climbing the walls. So I thank him for his service and make a break for the fire exit. They ain't offering medication-assisted treatment, and I'm not quite ready to ride the detox roller coaster. Over the next few months, I continue to shit spiral while living on the streets. And let me tell you, Panhandling and wolf's bears like asking for a kale salad at a Polish church bazaar. When they tell you all they got's pierogies and halushki, they mean it. So now I gotta sneak back into society, work whatever odd jobs I can find under the table to feed the beast. I run numbers for an 81-year-old bookie named Bubbles until the poor bastard has a stroke and falls out a window. I work at an escort service, driving ladies to and from motel rooms to make sure their johns don't try any funny business. I work as a fry cook at Abe's Hot Dogs. That lasts about two hours. And eventually, I start running out of steam. I'm forced to detox cold turkey a few times, and whenever that happens, I try going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings to stay sober. They recommend starting your recovery with 90 meetings in 90 days, but every time I give it a go, I don't make it past 90 minutes. As you know, I got a tough time with indoctrination. 
Plus, in my experience with NA meetings, any newcomers there would always huddle up to remind each other of that very first step in the program. And we figured shit. After we admit to being powerless over our addiction, what else is there to do but be best friends for a couple hours and relapse together? So either I'm a sucker for sharing needles in a bathroom stall with strangers in the basement of a church, or 12-step programs just ain't for me. Mother's Day 2004 was when I finally ended my torrid four-year love affair with heroin. I hadn't spoken to my folks in well over a year when I came crawling into my childhood home. My mom and dad were in the kitchen, and I didn't even speak. Just collapsed in a heap on the floor and sobbed like a strung-out baby. They both dropped down to the floor with me, and we held each other for a while. Nobody said nothing. We just huddled together on the linoleum and cried for a while. I'd experienced heroin withdrawal before, like I said, but only while chasing fistfuls of Valium with a NyQuil whiskey cocktail, and I never stuck it out for longer than a few days before folding like a lawn chair. This time, I decided to face the detox demons cold turkey by locking myself in my parents' basement. You know, my old acid den. And sweet Jesus, those first 72 hours are brutal. The heaves, the pukes, the trots, it's just coming out of both ends nonstop. Then come the sweats, the shakes, the quakes, and once the witching hour approaches, the intense hallucinations begin. There's no chance I'll sleep and I can't drown them out. I try listening to my mother's Motown collection on vinyl, watching Golden Girls marathons, beating Contra on the old Nintendo without the code, but there's no escape in these twisted visions of despair. After a couple very dark weeks off the grid, I go see a doctor for a checkup. I put a lot of mileage on my engine, and this time, rather than cut myself open with a box cutter for a self-exam, I want a medical professional to assess the damage. I get a bunch of blood work done, and boy howdy am I sweating those results. Uh, pardon me. I'll spare you the salacious details of my sexual promiscuity. I'm not one to tell tales out of school. Actually, that's horseshit. I've been doing it this entire podcast. Well, let's just say I spent a decade dirty dicking in the deep end of the cesspool without a life jacket. But what got me was that towards the end of my run there, I was sharing needles all over town. My blood work comes back positive for hepatitis C. When the doctor calls me with the results, I shout, Excellent news, doc! Right? No AIDS! She explains that while being negative for HIV is certainly preferable, hepatitis C is nothing to celebrate. What the hell did I know? I received 7th grade sex ed in the grossly underfunded Wyoming Valley West School District. Until I was diagnosed with hep C, I was unaware it's a potentially life-threatening liver disease. I assumed you just knocked it out with a quick round of antibiotics, like the clap, and get on with your day. But oh no. Back then, hep C treatment was a pretty intense year-long process. Every day I had to pop a handful of different pills, give myself weekly injections of antiviral meds, which made me sick as a dog. Lost most of my hair, I couldn't eat. I dropped down to 100 pounds. Shit, I'm carrying around a plump 200 these days. And even on heroin, my fighting weight never dropped below a buck twenty-five. but those hep C meds I was loading into my syringe had me downright gaunt. Ultimately, though, I kicked heroin and hep C. Now, I know you're thinking, okay, fine. Good for you! But how did you actually do it? My answer is, I did it with the love and support of at least a dozen other people, family and friends. I wasn't forced into it by the criminal justice system. And I was fortunate enough that when I was ready to stop using, I was able to change my material conditions. I moved out of coal country to live with friends in Philadelphia and started to pursue a career in comedy. Also, I put myself on a strict regimen of booze, weed, and nicotine with psychedelics and amphetamines as needed. And you see, that's what works for me. And that's the beautiful thing about harm reduction. It works for all drug users. Whether we're looking to be completely abstinent or not, harm reduction helps us meet our individual goals. 
And the practical strategies embraced by harm reduction have been clinically proven to reduce drug overdose deaths and help prevent the spread of deadly diseases. We're talking syringe service programs, medication-assisted treatment, naloxone distribution, fentanyl testing strips, safer consumption sites. It all falls under the harm reduction umbrella, and it all contributes to the health and safety of our communities. The harm reduction movement is also looking to end the war on drugs, because criminalizing substance use has led to nothing but pain and suffering. It costs taxpayers a shit ton of money, and it doesn't stop people from using drugs. So what the hell are we doing here? And listen, addiction ain't a moral issue. Most human beings use drugs of some kind or another, and even if you don't, who are you to stand in judgment of what another person chooses to put in their own body? You some Bible-banging neoconservative fascist or what? You do us all a favor. Read the New Testament again. This Jesus character was a socialist, and he practiced harm reduction every goddamn day of his life. So get with the program. I also don't think addiction is a mental illness, and I think the brain disease model of addiction treatment is scientifically questionable at best and ethically bankrupt at worst. I understand framing addiction as a disease helped gain some empathy from the public over the past couple decades, but I believe that strategy's run its course. I mean, think about it. What does it say about us as a society if we're still locking people up in prison who suffer from a chronic disease that they have no control over? Sounds like something only neoliberal fascists would do, yeah? Let's face it. If you live in America, you live in a system that values profits over people. And as we continue to organize mutual aid projects in our communities, we're just looking to reduce the harm caused by this for-profit system until we got the numbers to overthrow it. Here's my bottom line. I don't believe addiction is a moral failure or a disease of the brain. I believe addiction is the inevitable reaction to the isolation caused by capitalism. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> just too bad. The president says I can't give my... 